Well, good morning, Journey. A spoiler alert this morning. This is graduation week for high school. Now, if your parents, if you have a graduating senior, this is the week. It's coming up. So for many of you, that means this is graduation party week with all of the hubbub and all the planning that goes into it. As I was thinking about that uh, this week, I actually remembered back to my graduation party, um, the open house that my parents threw for me. And honestly, that was a time of struggle for me because I wasn't headed to college. I, I didn't want to go to college, but I didn't know how to explain that to all the people that'd be coming through our house and asking, what, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do? And, you know, my, my parents had all graduated from the same private liberal arts college, and I had no desire to do that, no desire to follow in their footsteps. So the, it's the Saturday afternoon, of my graduation open house, and I graduated from this really large uh, high school in Rochester, Minnesota, and, and my, my mom set up the house for the whole open house thing. And as the guests are coming in, I'm just like stumbling and, and trying to find the words to tell everybody, you know, well, no, I'm not going to go to college, and I really don't know what I want to do, and I'm just like fumbling around for the first few people that come through. And then my uncle comes in, Uncle Gene, just brilliant, smart guy. And I, I'm stumbling through this, explaining this to my uncle. And he says, so, so you're going to take a year off and work and figure out what you want to do. And I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And that sounded a whole lot better than I have no idea what I'm going to do. So that became my standard response moving forward. You know, I'm going to take some time and work. But I kind of added some embellishment to it. So my response was like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a year and enter the workforce and gain valuable experience all the while earning income that allows me to save and plan for my future. You know, in other words, I'm working a part-time job at the drugstore and still have, still have no clue what I'm doing. You know, but, the, you know, there's a lot of, lot of struggles for that first year. And that, that one year that I was telling people that I was going to take off, well, it, it turned into to seven years. And I eventually did, did go to college. Um, you know, I'm a little slow on the uptake, but eventually got around to it. You know, spring graduations, that's a season for a lot of you parents. That means uh, home improvement projects because everybody's coming over. So you got to finish the, the outdoor landscaping. You got to re restain the deck because everybody's going to be hanging out outside. You're going to spend hours organizing food and making sure you have plenty. And you're gonna, then you're going to set up the displays of all the awards that, you, that your child has gotten since preschool. And you set up every picture every year and you do the whole thing to celebrate your graduate. And then you, then you craft these amazing invitations that have all the pictures that look great. You get them printed, you mail them out, or you hand deliver them to everybody that you ever have met before. Well, that in invitation is to, you know, come, come to our house, feast a little bit, celebrate the graduate, recognize their accomplishment, and ask them, you know, what are the next steps in life? Well, there's another invitation that comes to each of us that we want to look at today. It's an invitation to come to the Father through Jesus, His Son. 
We're in the middle of this series of messages going through a section of John, and we're entitled this An Intimate Portrait of Jesus from John chapter 14 through 17. And this is the lengthy account of Jesus' last evening with his disciples. And the disturbing reality, the underlying theme as he teaches and and talks to his disciples is that he is going to soon be leaving. He's leaving them, and this has kind of rattled the disciples a little bit. Now, the disciples, they were the first to acknowledge and say, you know, Jesus, we've forsaken everything to follow you. We've given up everything, and we have been tracking with you for, for three years. And Jesus leaves them with some really difficult, hard sayings. And the disciples are thinking, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to end. You know, we've given all to follow you, and, and they've followed him around for three years, and they're probably thinking that this is going to culminate in, you know, a new king coming on the scene. It's going to culminate in glory for the Lord and glory for them. But these disciples seem to be completely clueless to his own suffering. You know, they're self-absorbed, they're confused, they're, they're frightened, and their messianic expectations are crumbling with each passing hour. And they show no real love for him, but he loves them to the end. Well, in his love for them, he wants them to know the Father. And he keeps pointing them to the Father in this last evening. And the same holds true for us, is that Jesus' greatest desire for us is that we know the Father. Well, we pick up in John chapter 14, starting in verse 4. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus starts with an invitation. That invitation of Jesus for all of us today is to come to the Father. That's really the focal point of his entire ministry on this earth is to point people to to his Father. And he came for that purpose to restore humanity to that relationship that we can have with our Heavenly Father. You know, at at the beginning of chapter 14, as we looked at uh, last week, he talked about, he said, he referred to it as my Father's house, you know, referring to heaven the place that he's going to prepare for us, and he's coming back to bring us with him there. And heaven is sometimes called a country because of its vastness. It's sometimes called a city because of of its inhabitants. It's sometimes called a kingdom because of its ruler and order. It's sometimes called a paradise because of its beauty. And Jesus sometimes calls it a house because... It's family. It's his father's house. So Jesus is saying that there's one path to this house, and it's through him, through Jesus. You know, sometimes we go through life looking at a lot of confusing road signs, kind of like this. We, we don't know what direction to go, left, right, up, down. You know, our spiritual life looks like that. Our vocational life, we are just confused half the time. Well, Jesus arrives on the scene 
and he kind of wipes that away, and he, and he says there's a one-laden road to the Father. And that road is what he's directing his disciples down that evening. And you know what? It's a road that he's asking each one of us to take, to step on that path, to step down the one-lane road to the Father. So he tells his disciples that night, he says, you know the way to the Father because you know the person. And then he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus says he is the way to God. Now remember, he is answering Thomas's question, which was, how can we know the way? You know, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know to get there? A very logical question, one that we would ask. So the emphasis there is on that, that way of how to get there. And when Jesus says, I am the way, throughout John, he gives these uh, seven different I am statements. And this is number six that's found in John's gospel. And each time Jesus says, I am, he's saying that I'm God. I am, I am God the Father. And I'm also the only way to the Father. So Jesus, as the way, he fulfills a lot of different stuff. He, he fulfills the Old Testament role of priests. The, the priests were set in place to act as that mediator between the nation of Israel and the Heavenly Father. They were the one that allowed Israel to have access to God. So Jesus fulfills and completes that role. So they're no longer needed in this, in this new uh, community that Jesus brings to us. New community with a new structure. That's why we call it a New Testament. Because there's a new covenant. It's not Old Testament 2.0. It's a New Testament. And in a few chapters earlier in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So all those old gates, those old doors, those old methods and paths, they're no longer needed because they're no longer valid or effective. So Jesus is saying there is one way to God, and he is that way. But he goes on and says there's all, he is also the truth of God. Jesus not only fulfills the Old Testament priesthood and all that they stood for, but he also fulfills all of the Old Testament teachings and writings and he, because he reveals the true God to everybody. In fact, John in chapter 1 says this in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes... Truth is not wanted. You know, it's, it's there, it's true, but we really don't want to hear it, right? It's, it's, it's like the story of the elementary uh, teacher that was recovering from surgery, and, and her class sent her this beautiful get well card, and, and they were wishing her. They, they wrote, uh, Dear Mrs. Fisher, your fourth grade class wishes you speedy recovery by a vote of 15 to 14. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was looking really, really good, looking good until that last phrase. You know, sometimes we don't want to hear that truth. 
you know, sometimes we stand on the bathroom scale <laughs> and it tells us the truth, right? But we don't want to hear it. But, but there it is, the, the numbers. We could deny it all we want, but the numbers are right there looking at us. So Jesus says, I am the truth of God. He's right there in front of us. We have his words right before us in the Bible. And sometimes we don't want to hear it because sometimes it confronts us in brutally honest ways. But that doesn't negate whether it's true or not or truth or not. It's right before us. So Jesus says, I am the way to God. He says, I am the truth of God. And then he says, I am the life of God. Back in John chapter 1 again, it says, referring to Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. See, Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God and he is the life of God. And, and the world will tell you to kind of look inside yourself to find salvation, to find fulfillment. Well, the Gospels say that the only hope of salvation is outside of ourselves in the person of Jesus the Christ. So it's both a positive and negative statement when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's, that's the positive part. But then the, then the negative part is when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus alone revealed God. Jesus alone was God's chosen sacrifice for sin. Jesus alone is God's Savior. And salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. But, Journey, it's still an invitation. Coming to the Father is still the central theme of this passage. So why the invitation anyway? Well, it reflects the desire of Jesus, and that's to know the Father. I mean, what, why is there a way in the first place? Why, why does he even talk about that? Why all this teaching and effort by Jesus to link himself to the Father, to reveal the Father? Because it's his greatest desire is for us to know him. That's why he spends his time in this last evening that he has with the disciples to reveal himself, to give us this intimate portrait of who he is because he wants the, his disciples to know that he and the Father are one. So Philip's request, uh, listen to what he says in verse 8 of 14, chapter 14. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. I, I love that request because it's almost like he's pleading. It's like, God, just show us. You know, get, give us a sign. It's something that we would all ask for, right? Just give us the spectacular. Give us that kind of uh, parting the Red Sea Exodus experience where we can see the fire and the flames and, and just your, your tr dramatic exposure of who you are. I mean, Moses himself said, Lord, show me your glory. So Philip is probably thinking, yeah, just give us that kind of sign where it's unmistakable. And then I love Jesus' response in verse 9. He says, Philip, don't you know me? Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? 
Jesus is saying, you want to see God the Father? Then just, just look at me. Just look at me. If, if you know Jesus, then you know the Father. And then he says in verse 10, I, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. See, the heart of Jesus is that he himself is connected with the Father. And he wants that same connection, that same relationship for each one of us here today. So the mission of the Father was to send the Son for that purpose. Jesus is the one who, could, is the one who removed the one thing that kept us from having that relationship with God the Father, and that was sin. He, as the Messiah, he came to deal with that sin issue once and for all, and it took his sacrifice on the cross to do so. So the mission of the Father is the Son, and the mission of the Son is pointing back to the Father, getting people connected to the Father. You know, when I first studied this passage from John chapter 14, you know, I kind of honed in on and had, you know, uh, blinders, and I just focused on verse 6 that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I thought, okay, that, that's got to be the, the theme of this passage. But then as I studied it this week, I noticed how often Jesus says, the Father or my Father. Ten times in, in eight verses, Jesus uses those two words, my Father. So as I kind of backed out a little bit and I looked at the larger picture of verses 4 through 12, I see that, yes, this passage is about Jesus, but the bigger picture is that Jesus is pointing people to the Father. Why? Because he wants all of us to know the Father. That word know is used, in John's gospel alone, it's used 141 times. And there's kind of different levels, different degrees of knowing. I mean, you could, like at the very surface level, you could know a fact, right? That's like back to the bathroom scale. You, you stand on the scale and you realize you're 20 pounds overweight. That's a fact. And some of you, that might be a fact. And, but then there's a, another layer to that. It's understanding the truth behind the fact. So as you're stand, standing on the scale and you realize, okay, I'm a little overweight, the, the truth behind the fact is that, you know, we might be choosing Oreos over apples, you know. But we, we know the truth, but that we don't always respond to it, do we? We don't want to accept the fact, oh, oh no, it's, it's not because I like cookies or donuts. There's got to be some other problem going on. But then at, at an even deeper relate level is that relational level, the relational aspect of having a, a deeper relationship with the person, a deeper communion of, of knowing them in a very intimate level. So the desire of Jesus that he's talking about in this passage is that we know him and know the Father at that relational deep level. We're made for that relationship journey. We're, we're made to move beyond just the fact. We're made to move beyond just even knowing the truth behind the fact, but that truth points us to a relationship, knowing God in an intimate relational level. You know, last week, 
we looked at the first part of chapter 14 where, where Jesus talked about, he referred to his father's house having many rooms. And he's going there to prepare a place and, and he's coming back and he wants to take us to be with him in his father's house. But journey, get, get this, it doesn't stop there with Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. He is the truth about God and he is the life of God. And yes, no one can come to the Father except through him. But then it comes to verse 12 of chapter 14. And he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about belief and trust are the, the, the same words in, in the New Testament. And to trust something is to put your weight on it, you know, to hold you up for support. So to put our trust in Jesus is to put our weight on him. And Jesus is saying, whoever puts their weight on him is going to do the work that he's been doing. So when I first read verse 12, it's almost kind of cryptic. I'm like, what, you know, what's he talking about? What kind of works? Are we going to raise people from the dead? Are we going to change water into wine? You know, are we going to do those kind of miraculous things? But in the context of 14, chapter 14, the work that Jesus is doing is pointing people to the Father. So that's the work that he is leaving us with, pointing people to our Heavenly Father. Journey, that's why we do missions. That's why we support missions. That, that, that's why, why we make disciples here at, at our church. That's why Jesus gives us a great commission. You know, he says at the end of Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. We want to make disciples here who go on to make other disciples who carry out this missional mandate of pointing people to the Father. So his mission for us as disciples is to go out and make other Jesus followers who go out and point other people to the Father and make other Jesus followers. That's the work that Jesus is calling us to. That's the work that he's referring to here in chapter 14. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. You know, and... As we get into this graduation season, you know, the college had graduation yesterday, high school's coming up on Saturday. You know, we, we call these graduation services commencements. And we call it commencement for a reason. Because it's, it's not so much the ending as it is the beginning of something else. You know, we send out the graduation invitations to celebrate accomplishments, but we also recognize that there's something beyond that. Something's coming up on the horizon, whatever that might be for the student. But the invitation that Jesus gives to us today is to come to the Father, to know the Father, and then the commencement part is then to take that out to the people around you to show the Father to the people that you work with, to show the Father to those in your family, to your neighborhood, to, to show Jesus, to reflect Jesus, to be the light of Jesus wherever he has put you. So journey, let's make disciples. 
Let's make disciples who put their weight on Jesus and go on to make more disciples. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you just for these words from John 14 and, and the challenge that they bring to us. So Lord, I pray that we can accept the invitation that you've given us, that we can accept it and begin just to know you in a relational level. But Father, we, we do that so we can point others to you as well. Thank you that you have made all this possible through Jesus Christ, your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.